Section 5 of Knickerbocker's History of New York, Volume 2, by Washington Irving. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Casper. Knickerbocker's History of New York, Volume 2, by Washington Irving. Book 4, Chapter 9 if we could but get a peep at the tally of dame fortune where like a vigilant landlady she chalks up the debtor and creditor accounts of thoughtless mortals we should find that every good is checked off by an evil and that however we may apparently revel scot-free for a season the time will come when we must ruefully pay off the reckoning fortune in fact is a pestilent shrew and withal an inexorable creditor and though for a time she may be all smiles and courtesies, and indulge us in long credits, yet, sooner or later, she brings up her arrears with a vengeance, and washes out her scores with our tears. Since, says good old Boethius, no man can retain her at his pleasure, what are her favours but sure prognostications of approaching trouble and calamity? This is the fundamental maxim of that sage school of philosophers, the Croakers, who esteem it true wisdom to doubt and despond when other men rejoice, well knowing that happiness is at best but transient, that the higher one is elevated on the seesaw balance of fortune, the lower must be his subsequent depression, that he who is on the uppermost round of a ladder has most to suffer from a fall while he who is at the bottom runs very little risk of breaking his neck by tumbling to the top. Philosophical readers of this stamp must have doubtless indulged in dismal forebodings all through the tranquil reign of Walter the Doubter, and considered it what Dutch seamen call a weather-breeder. They will not be surprised, therefore, that the foul weather which gathered during his days should now be rattling from all quarters on the head of William the Testy, the origin of some of these troubles may be traced quite back to the discoveries and annexations of Hans Reiner Uthout, the explorer, and Wynant Tenbreeches, the land measurer, made in the twilight days of Olaf the Dreamer, by which the territories of the New Netherlands were carried far to the south, to Delaware River and parts beyond. The consequence was many disputes and brawls with the indians which now and then reached the drowsy ears of walter the doubter and his council like the muttering of distant thunder from behind the mountains without however disturbing their repose it was not till the time of william the testy that the thunderbolt reached the manhattoes while the little governor was diligently protecting his eastern boundaries from the yankees word was brought him of the eruption of a vagrant colony of swedes in the south who had landed on the banks of the delaware and displayed the banner of that redoubtable virago queen christina and taken possession of the country in her name these had been guided in their expedition by one peter minuitz or minuitz a renegade dutchman formerly in the service of their high mightinesses but who now declared himself governor of all the surrounding country to which was given the name of the province of new sweden it is an old saying that a little pot is soon hot which was the case with william the testy 
being a little man he was soon in a passion and once in a passion he soon boiled over summoning his counsel on the receipt of the news he belabored the swedes in the longest speech that had been heard in the colony since the wordy warfare of ten breeches and tough breeches having thus taken off the fire edge of his valor he resorted to his favorite measure of proclamation and dispatched a document of the kind ordering the renegade minuits and his gang of swedish vagabonds to leave the country immediately under pain of vengeance of their high mightinesses the lords states general and of the potentates of the manhattoes this strong measure was not a whit more effectual than its predecessors which had been thundered against the yankees and william keeft was preparing to follow it up with something still more formidable when he received intelligence of other invaders on his southern frontier who had taken possession of the banks of the schuylkill and built a fort there they were represented as a gigantic gunpowder race of men exceedingly expert at boxing biting gouging and other branches of the rough-and-tumble mode of warfare which they had learned from their prototypes and cousins german the virginians to whom they have ever borne considerable resemblance like them too they were great roisterers much given to revel on hoe-cake and bacon mint julep and apple toddy whence their newly formed colony had already acquired the name of maryland which with a slight modification it retains to the present day in fact the marylanders and their cousins the virginians were represented to william keeft as offsets from the same original stock as his bitter enemies the yanoki or yankee tribes of the east having both come over to this country for the liberty of conscience or in other words to live as they pleased the yankees taking to praying and money-making and converting quakers and the southerners to horse-racing and cock-fighting and breeding negroes against these new invaders wilhelmus kieft immediately dispatched a naval armament of two sloops and thirty men under jan jansen alpendam who was armed to the very teeth with one of the little governor's most powerful speeches written in vigorous low dutch admiral alpendam arrived without incident in the schuylkill and came upon the enemy just as they were engaged in a great barbecue a king of festivity or carouse much practised in maryland opening upon them with the speech of william the testy he denounced them as a pack of lazy canting julep tippling cock-fighting horse-racing slave-driving tavern-haunting sabbath-breaking mulatto-breeding upstarts and concluded by ordering them to evacuate the country immediately to which they laconically replied in plain english they'd see him damned first now this was a reply on which neither jan jansen alpendam nor wilhelmus kieft had made any calculation finding himself therefore totally unprepared to answer so terrible a rebuff with suitable hostility the admiral concluded his wisest course would be to return home and report progress he accordingly steered his course back to new amsterdam where he arrived safe having accomplished this hazardous enterprise at small expense of treasure and no loss of life his saving policy gained him the universal appellation of the saviour of his country 
and his services were suitably rewarded by a shingle monument erected by subscription on the top of Flattenbarrack Hill, where it immortalized his name for three whole years, when it fell to pieces and was burnt for firewood. End of section 5